realized how important this question was going to be uh, when I was putting my sermon together. My question is, have you ever had a Divine Sunday interruption? You're on your way to church, you see an older couple who have a flat tire. You're in your Sunday best, but the Holy Spirit says, praise God, you need to stop and you need to help them change that tire. You're on your way to church and you see somebody's cows out. It happens. Wandering all over the road, you find the open gate, the broken fence. You try to get them back in as much as possible. You're just about ready to get into the car to go to church and your neighbor runs over and says that their pipes have burst. Can you please help? Or you're on your way to church when a call comes in from a frantic friend that tells you their son or daughter didn't come home last night. Can you please come over? Now, you can say to yourself, wow, Satan really doesn't want me to come to church today. Or, you can say, the Lord has an amazing opportunity opportunity for me today to work on my faith which one are you going to choose faith in action characterized the early church in the midst of divine interruptions by the way and that's what we're going to look at today I want you to turn with me please if you have your Bible to Acts 3 Acts 3, 1 to 10. If you don't, or if you have it on your phone, it'll always be up on the screen if you didn't come prepared for that this morning. But Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 this morning. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter one, Acts 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, last week's message, I tried to help you to understand the cultural connect with this. That when a Jewish person accepts Jesus as their Messiah, Hamashiach, they don't stop being what? They don't stop being Jewish. Um, in today's language, we would call them fulfilled Jews or complete Jews. Why? Because they've accepted their Jewish Messiah, which is Jesus. And a lot of things about their life are not going to change per se because they're still in that Jewish cultural type of a system. So we see this. It's after Pentecost. Uh, Peter has given his first major sermon. They're followers of Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah. They're Christians, but yet we still see Peter and John doing what? Yeah, they're still going up to the temple at the prescribed times of prayer. Now, those prescribed times would have been morning prayers, noonday prayers, and what we would call evening or mid-afternoon prayers. But there were other prayers as well, as I mentioned last week. So John and Peter are heading into the temple at three in the afternoon. Uh, if you've got a King James Bible, it'll say in the ninth hour, uh, the Jewish time system started at around 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so we're at 3 in the afternoon. So it's the ninth hour in the Jewish clock system. The other thing that I want you to know about this is that the afternoon prayer time 
was also connected with the afternoon sacrifice time. So that the very moment that Peter and John are going into the temple for prayer was the time that they would be sacrificing the daily sacrifices for sin, for guilt. It was just a reminder once again of sort of the the change and the disconnect that was taking now that Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, has already come and given his life. So you're going to see sort of this collision start starting to happen between Judaism and Christian Judaism, if I could use those two words. You're going to see a difference between those who are still stuck in the old ritual uh, religion and you're going to see those who are freed up and delivered and had victory over that religion. And now we're walking in the Spirit and trawling, trying to find uh, Christ in this new way. Look at the divine interruption in verse 2. Now a man who was lame from when, church? Yeah, he, he had never walked. Now a man was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called, it's amazing, beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. People with birth defects, with career-ending injuries, were often brought to the temple gates and walkways leading to the temple by their families so that they could beg because they didn't want to be a financial burden on their families, and oftentimes they were, so sometimes they didn't have a choice. They picked you up and they sat you at the temple gates. They laid you out and put their little cup in your hand or a bowl or whatever it might be, and that's where you sat all day long until your relatives showed back up to pick you up and take you back home. So in humiliation, they sat with hand opened or with a cup or bowl, and they, they begged for help. They placed their hope on the generosity of others and their hope in the, also the superstitious belief that God would make people richer if they threw a few coins into the poor before going into the temple. Now this particular day, a lame man who'd never known the working of his legs, he was lame from birth, was carried to a gate called Beautiful. I want you to see that gate. This is modern-day Israel. For those who've been to Israel, this gate is also known as the Eastern Gate. This is where Jesus is going to enter when he comes back uh, to receive um, his kingdom. It was also called the Gate of Nicanor of Alexandria. Uh, scholars believe that he was a very, very wealthy Egyptian who actually uh, was Jewish and paid for these two gates. Uh, it is where the glory of the Lord departed. Those of you in my Ezekiel study will talk about that. The glory of the Lord left the temple from the eastern gate and left out the eastern gates. And the glory of the Lord will return in through these eastern gates. And as I mentioned, Jesus will return them uh, in this very place as well. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, it's going to be very difficult for people to get into that because it's closed. It is completely sealed up. It was sealed up by Suleiman the Great, who was the great Ottoman uh, Turkish leader. And not only did they seal the gates, but they put something that was very taboo to both Jews and Muslims right out in the front of it. And it's what? Do you see? It's a cemetery. So, so the whole entrance to the gate is defiled. 
You know, the great thing about Jesus is when he walks through dead things, he has a tendency to do what? Raise them up. So it's not a big deal for Jesus to walk through a cemetery. It happened when he was resurrected the first time, and it's going to happen when he comes back the second time. So praise the Lord on that. But this is called the beautiful gate. This is where uh, Peter and John, uh, many of the disciples, if they went to the temple, they would have walked through this gate itself. Now, why was this labeled a beautiful gate? It was labeled this way because both of these major gates that opened and shut were of solid, polished bronze with inlaid gold and silver. Can you imagine seeing that when the sun came up? It's why it was called beautiful. It was a beautiful gate. And henceforth, a lot of people, instead of choosing the other gates, they would actually make the extra effort to walk around and go through that gate. So the populace moving through it was greater. Therefore, if you're a beggar, what gate do you want to be put at? You want to be put at the beautiful gate because you're going to have a better chance of getting some cash that day. The eastern gate leads you right into the, the doors of the temple itself. The doors of the temple faced east. So Peter and John would have walked through these gates into the massive temple court, the court of the women, walked then straight in, and straight ahead of them would have been the eastern gate into the temple complex itself. So it would have been a direct shot for Peter and John as they were heading in to the time of prayer to worship into the, into the uh, court of the, of the men, of the Jewish men. All right? Look with me at 3 and 6. Let's see what happens. All right? When he saw Peter and John, that is the beggar, uh, about to enter, he asked them for something. What did he ask them for, church? He asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, uh, look at us. You know, the, the beggar's probably just asking everybody. He's just holding things out and as they come through. He's not expecting anybody to stop. He's just trying to get as many people as possible. And he wasn't paying attention. He asked Peter and John. And then he quickly went on to somebody else. And Peter had to do what? He had to get his attention. What? Well, this guy's going to give me some cash. I'll pay attention to that. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, now put yourself where he's at. Peter is looking around. And then he looks at the beggar and he says what? I don't have that. Sorry. I know you're sitting in opulence right now and you're wishing you had that. I don't, I don't have that to give to you. I don't have the riches of this world to put into your hands. However, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Hmm. Now what's he going to do with that? I think the beggar th was in a little bit of confusion at this point. 
what do I do with this? He had never known the use of his legs. From birth, he was lame. He had never walked. He had never run. He had never danced. He had never worshipped. And Peter is offering that to him at this very moment. So I wonder if he did extend his hand. My thoughts is that he, he didn't. Because I don't think he had the faith to do that, by the way. There are some scholars who say he did. I'm going to argue that. I, I don't believe that he did. I think it was somebody else's faith, by the way. Next. You see, Peter did something. What did he do? Peter was the one. Peter, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles began to become strong and he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God and all God's people said, please. Wow, what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. I'm sure it caused a great commotion. In fact, we're going to see that it actually did because this man was known by all the people in the area because he sat there day in and day out asking and he's no longer a beggar. Look with me please at 9 and 10. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So there's a testimony going on as he's going into the temple courts with Peter and with John. I want to share some things with you as we kind of wrestle with this passage today. And I want to share the first and foremost, the most important one with you today. Can you read this with me, please? Let's read it together. You can't give away what you do not have. You can't give away what you do not have. You know what? If you're, if you're asking for peace to be in your family or to be in your church, guess what you have to have? You have to have the Prince of Peace. If you're heading into a funeral, David, as I am on Tuesday for a 24-year-old young man who committed suicide, what do I have to have going into that funeral? I, if I'm called to bring comfort, I have to have what? I have to have the God of all comfort within me or my words will fall on deaf ears and they won't matter. If I'm called to counsel people, I have to have what inside of me, church? I've got to have the divine counselor, either Jesus well, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you cannot give away what you do not have. I want my children to have a vibrant faith and my grandchildren to have a vibrant faith. I want them to walk with Jesus. I want them to be powerful walking with God in their life. Question then. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. You cannot give away what you do not have. Is what you're praying for what you have? And all God's people said, please. Do you have that? Because you can't give that away if you don't have it. 
I have a vibrant, wonderful faith in Christ. I love Jesus with my whole heart, soul, mind, and body. Great. Guess what you have to give away? You have a, a faith that's vibrant and healthy that exudes Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. You have that to give away. Last week's message, remember, choose joy. I want to be a joyous person. I want people that I work with to have joy. I want the work environment or my family environment to be a place of peace and joy. Okay, is that coming out of you? Do you have joy? Are you choosing that? Do you have peace? Are you choosing that? You cannot give away what you do not have. I was teaching Chinese parents uh, a series during youth group about parenting through Proverbs. That was, the, that was the series I was doing. And I said this to the Chinese uh, folks who are very high-end education-oriented. Do you know that, Asians? You know, if they get a B, uh, it's suicidal, quite frankly. They have to have grades. They have to have the best jobs. They have to make the most amount of money they can possibly make. Why? Because they're going to have to care for their parents. <laughs> That's why mom and dads are making sure <laughs> that their kids do the best they can because they, they did it for their parents, and you're going to have to do it for me as your parents. So I said to them one day, I said, look, let me ask you a question. Your son or daughter comes home after college in, in career day, they're thinking about what they want to do for a living, and your son and daughter sits you down at the table and says, Mom and Dad, I really feel like the Lord wants me to be a missionary. I know that I'm going to have to make sacrifices, that I'm hardly ever going to see you. I'm thinking about a third world country. I'm not going to have a lot of money, but I really feel like the Lord wants me to give my life in serving him that way, you should have seen tears rolling down parents' eyes and the conflict that was happening within their spirit. Now, those folks love the Lord, but that connect wasn't there. Does that make sense? Silver and gold, I do not have, church, but follow it up. What's, you know it. What I have, I'll give to you. The most important thing that you can give to your children and your grandchildren is not a, a financial inheritance. In fact, that's what ruins most families. Can I get an amen out of that? It ruined both of my families. It ruined my mother's family and it, ruins my, it ruined my father's family. Brothers and sisters didn't talk to each other and still don't talk to each other because of cash. And I say, God help us. Let's not do that. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you. I don't have a whole lot of money, Amber and Aaron. I never will, but what I have I give to you. I give you my faith. I give you my love of Christ. I give you my love of people. I, I give you what God has so blessed me with that is intangible. It's, my treasure's in heaven. It's not here. What are we giving how, how are we dispensing the most valuable things to people who are around us? You can't give away what you do not have. Second, can you read this with me? You need to be intentional about telling people what you have. You need to be intentional about telling people what you have. Peter had Jesus but he could have easily walked right by this man and not given him the gift that changed 
his life. He could have been too busy going to church like many people that day and not giving the beggar a second thought. I need to get to church. I don't care about you. Ouch. But you know, Peter stopped, no doubt under the Holy Spirit's direction, but how many times do we walk right by hopeless people begging for help and not offering them the gift of Jesus? I may not have silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. I give you Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Kathy asked you in her prayer that we ought to be people of prayer every day. I want to just push that a little deeper and I want to ask this. Are you praying daily for people that you can share Jesus with? People that you can stop and have a conversation with just to maybe get to know them. You've walked by that person every day for how many years at work, but you don't know a single thing about them. I hear this all the time from unbelievers. Yeah, my coworker, he invited me to church this Sunday. You know, he's never invited me over for supper. He's never asked about my family. Don doesn't, doesn't even know how many kids I have or grandkids. Yet, yet he wants me to come to church with him. Do you see that? That's a relational disconnect. So when you ask somebody to come to church, you're, you're, you've made them your project. You're not really interested in them. If you were interested in them, you would have had them over supper. You would have asked them about their wife. You would, you would know their kid's name and their grandkid's name. And instead of walking by their cubicle onto your destination, you'd be sensitive to the Holy Spirit enough to say, I need to stop today. And I need to ask them how they're doing today. And I need to ask them how I can pray for them today. Does that make sense? That's, that's practical working out of what's going on. Peter and John didn't rush by the beggar. The Holy Spirit said, you need to stop. I've got a divine interruption for you and a divine appointment for him. So we're going to take some time out today. And you know what? You might miss church. Is that okay? If you miss church to lead somebody to Christ? <laughs> I think so. I think it is. Absolutely. We need to be intentional about telling people about what we have Third, can you read this with me, please? Extend a hand. People need help with their faith. People need help with their faith. Peter didn't yell a command at him and then stare. The text doesn't tell us that the man knew of Jesus or even desired to know who Jesus was. But in Jesus' name, Peter invited him into something. Peter invited the man into his own step of faith. Peter's faith. We don't talk about this very much. Peter's never done this before. And Peter shows up at a beggar who has never walked a day in his life. And I'm sure Peter is saying, holy smoke, if this doesn't work. <sighs> All right. Walk. Please. I bet that was a conversation afterwards. Did you see that? I didn't think that was going to work. It did. 
Wow, what amazing thing, power. You know, sometimes in order for someone else to come to Christ, it's not about their faith. It's about whose? It's ours. We, we're the ones that have to take that first step. We're the ones that have to extend the hand and say, I believe in the power of God for you. Would you take my hand? Isn't that amazing? You ever think about that God is trying to work out your faith in the midst of somebody else's miracle? Extend the hand, take the step, listen to the Holy Spirit, watch a miracle take place, and like Peter and John afterwards go, I can't believe that worked. That was awesome. I'm going to do that again. Strengthens the faith, strengthens your faith. Extend a hand. People need help with their faith. They don't automatically run into Christianity. Walk with them. Grab their arm, walk the distance, have the conversation, but invite. That's, what, that's the part of that, all right? This one might be a little bit confusing to you, but when I was reading the passage of Scripture, that word just kept coming up over and over. It's in the text twice. It's at the beginning and the end, so I'm going to pay attention to it. What was the gate called? Yeah. So my question is, where can I find the beauty in that? And I want to just give you some things. It's not in ornate doors leading to dead religious observances. It's in Jesus. Isn't he beautiful? We sing a song like that, don't we? Isn't he beautiful? It's in Peter's extending his hand and stepping out in faith. Isn't he beautiful? Peter? It's in the life of a broken, hopeless, crippled man who's now running and leaping and praising God. Isn't he beautiful? I'm looking for some beautiful people today. I'm looking for some beautiful people whose lives can be changed, who can say, gold and silver have I not but what I have, I'll be glad to give to you. And all God's people said, please. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us today. Oh, the blessedness of the scriptures that encourage us. And so we pray for help today, Lord. Oh, I pray for anyone in this space today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can I give you something I have today? Would you like to know what a personal relationship with the God of eternity and God of all creation is like? I can give that to you. I, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of stuff, but what I do have, I'll be happy to give to you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, acknowledge this morning that you are a sinner, that you are broken in your relationship with God Almighty, that your relationship cannot be fixed and you can't do anything about it. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world to die for you on the cross, that he paid for your sin. That's the good news.
that you can now have a right relationship with Jesus and confess your sin now. Confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. Receive him into your life. Believe that he will transform your life and you will have him in the person of the Holy Spirit come in. Father, thank you for that. Let us be people who can give away what we do have, a personal relationship with Christ. Father, we pray that we would be intentional about listening to the Holy Spirit speak to us so that we don't keep running by beggars who so desperately need to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who need to be healed. Let us extend our hand so that our faith can be stretched and so that their faith can be built up and they can see the power of God in their own life. Let us be beautiful people and let us be surrounded by beautiful people that God is working in, people who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We thank you for all these wonderful things. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And all God's people said, please. God's peace.